Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Last Sunday we spoke about what it means to be a good citizen and why it's important to be a good citizen. And this morning we're going to talk about our responsibility to our neighbors. And we're going to look at this in three parts. Before we jump in, as is our tradition since Romans 1, just showing God's incredible design and uh, intricacy in all his creations. Uh, And I do this, if you're not on the church Facebook wall, you can go onto Facebook and type in Calvary Chapel Crossfields, get onto the group, we'll, we'll let you in. And we have like discussions, and I've been doing kind of a guessing game with the congregation who's on Facebook and giving them hints about what I'm going to talk about on Sunday. So this morning we are going to talk about the shark. The shark. The sharks are eating machines, and depending on which shark we're talking about, we would have a different array of teeth. Uh, but the sharks, very cool, they have this matrix in their gums, different than ours, uh, and their teeth are constantly being recycled, or they fall out and new teeth bro- are brought in. Pretty neat. So that's actually an aerial breach. So we, we, the shark can actually lose, gain and lose up to 30,000 teeth in their lifetime. That's pretty impressive. Uh, the great white shark has uh, teeth that are serrated and oblique, they're pretty much better than the Ginsu knife, and that just is the design that they have. So the aerial breach, for those of you who are animal lovers and seal lovers, that's not a real seal. That's actually the famous seal island where sharks go to feed, and the, these people who study sharks put out these, these decoys to watch the shark come up and breach the water. Literally, think about this. Great white sharks can be up to 2,400 pounds. 2,400 pounds. Now, you've been in the water, I've been in the water, just trying to get out. The water is, is very dense, right? You're also fighting gravity. 2,400-pound animal starts from the bottom with their tail assembly and their caudal fin, and they take, take off straight up while they're in the water, and they breach the water, and they come out of the water. So think about like a Honda Civic or maybe a little heavier Honda that can actually get up out of the water, defy gravity, and get into the air. And that's what they do on a regular basis. Uh, Sharks have very keen olfactory senses. They can detect blood in the water at one part per million. If you think about one drop, a million drops, they can sense that one drop. I think the coolest thing about shark, and this is what we're going to leave it on, is that they have this um, electromagnetic detection system. And what that means is they can not only smell, they can not only see, uh, they can not only feel, but they can sense electromagnetic activity. So if there's a prey, if there's prey hiding in the sand, even though it's technically camouflaged, they can detect that prey and attack it, and, and then they get dinner for the night. Uh, but, and I say this a lot, you've heard me say it a lot, that humankind has seen God's creation and has mimicked things. So this is another one of those examples, especially the military. We've talked about the military and how they've looked at the natural world and mimicked devices based on the natural world. So in World War II, the Wolf Pack was taking out a lot of American, uh, a lot of American ships, the German subs, the U-boats, and they were fierce. So the, the American uh, government, military, had looked at what the shark was doing, and they 
created what's called a magnetic anomaly detection system. So when the destroyers and the, you know, they would come with the depth charges and such, uh, they would go over the seabed where the U-boats were hiding, and even though they couldn't really see, they used these anomaly, magnetic anomaly detectors to, to sense that the U-boats were there and they would drop their depth charges. Isn't that fascinating? So what came first? God's creation. Remember, Darwin thought everything was very simple and gooey and the cell was simple until the electron microscope. But what we learn over time is like, what does this have to do with the Bible, Pastor Joe? Everything. Because when we look out at nature, we're so busy sometimes with our technology that we miss the simple things in life, the beautiful things. And even, you don't want to be, I don't want to be face to face with a shark, but from here, they're beautiful and I have mad respect for them. So that's the shark for you. All right, we're going to jump in. I don't get the applause that I got on the camel last Sunday. <laughs> that was, um, you guys love the camel. The camel was, was really cool. So we're going to jump in, and we're going to look at Romans 13, starting with verse 8. And he says, now this is in context to the last two chapters. He says, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet, and if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. So one out of three this morning is love your neighbor. Verse 8, owe no one anything. Let's just talk about if you owe somebody maybe money or somebody owes you, you know that it often causes contention. It often causes an issue over time, depending on the situation. However, he's saying that the only debt we should ever carry is that of love, and it should be a perpetual debt. Why? Because on this side of eternity, we can never achieve that godly love. We can in spurts, the Bible tells us, but it, it, it's not something we can humanly do without the Holy Spirit, and it can't be done on a, on a continual basis. So what he's saying is, if you're going to owe anybody anything, owe them love. Because this is something in our whole life on this side of eternity we'll never attain, but we should strive for. Same thing about being Christ-like. People give up, I can't be Christ-like. Okay, well, pray, ask God, ask the Holy Spirit in your life. Uh, and you'll find that in certain situations you can you know, as we go through life, we have to ask ourselves, am I being loving? Am I exhibiting love? Even tough love. Jesus exhibited tough love. But the tough love was his desire for another person to do well for themselves, even if it caused great pain and struggle. So that's a form of love as well. Verse 9, how is following these commandments sum up love your neighbor as yourself? Well, think about this. Let's go through each commandment, right? Uh, you don't want anybody to kill you or to steal from you or to gossip about you. So if you love your neighbor as yourself, those same themes you're going to project onto other people, right? Uh, I don't want anybody to gossip about me, so I certainly don't want to gossip about other people because I'm loving them as I'm loving myself. It's a reflective principle that happens. First John 4.20, John the Apostle says, Right? Is God speaking through him? If someone says, I love God and hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? 
So God seems to have this issue, and if he has something that he's really hung up on, we should really pay attention to that. That if you say you're going to love, and people do this, oh, I love God, I have my own relationship with God. Well, how do you treat other people? Because if you don't treat them well, then you probably don't really understand the meaning of love. So God is saying that if you say you're going to love me, well, you need to love other people that are made in my image, right? And this happens a lot in the scripture. We're like, you know what, can't it just be simple? I just want to love you, God. He's like, well, you need to understand, and I need to understand the true definition of love. And this is how I want you to do it. It's almost a circuitous route through other people. And then you're proving to me that you love me and you want what I want. Uh, The truth is, love my neighbor as myself is tough, especially in our culture. We're taught a lot through our American culture, self-love, self-love, self-love. We hear it all the time. Books are written on self-love. But Jesus is, is saying, deny yourself, stop looking at yourself all the time, and love others. And again, I I taught a sermon called Doing the Impossible, because it is impossible. Think about it. I'm not going to stand up here saying, oh, it's just so easy for Pastor Joe to just love everybody. Why would I lie to you? It's not easy. And a lot of times it's an exercise of the Holy Spirit. Luke 11, 13, he's teaching, Jesus is teaching his disciples about prayer. No doubt they're asking, like like a new fishing boat, I'd like a new this, I'd like to new... And Jesus is saying... When you pray, ask the Father for more of the Holy Spirit. That was probably the furthest thing from their minds. But to pray and ask for more of the Holy Spirit in our lives, is it gives us the power to do the impossible, it, it, to do amazing things, to even help ourselves in many respects. So Luke eleven thirteen is key in that respect. Verse 10, he says, or I ask the question, how does love fulfill the law? Well, the word fulfill is interesting. If you go back into the original language, how does love satisfy? How does love accomplish the law? Well, I'll tell you this. You read me any law, and I'll show you there's love behind that law. If you look at Mosaic law, right, in the criminal justice system back then, um, you know, if you love somebody, you don't have to go through the authorities because you got in trouble because you stole from your neighbor. If you love somebody... You don't have to get to that point. If you love God, you would sacrifice less at the temple. Those are some laws as well. Because God was even saying through the Old Testament prophets, the blood of goats and bulls, like he was just tired of it. Like people were just purposely sinning, purposely pulling away from God. And they go, okay, we'll just go to the temple. We'll fix it by sacrificing. We'll do some religious rites. So love. Love accomplishes the law because when we truly love, we don't have to get to that point where we're disciplined by the law. This is deep. This really is. This is, you know, Jesus said, do unto others as you would have done to you or you would have them do to you. So take the first shot, not in an aggressive posture, but take the first step in being kind and loving others because that's what you want in return. Right? And love doesn't always get a rate of return. Let's just, here, let me make that clear too. Some of these TV preachers, they make it sound so easy. But it's not always so easy. You know, a lot of times you show love to others and you don't get it in return. And if you're looking for always a rate of return on your investment, when it comes to love, you're going to be disappointed. But that goes to your spiritual bank account. God sees it and we're pleasing the Father by doing these things. Amen. Um, If you go to Jeremiah, this is really fascinating. A New Testament nugget found in the Old Testament, and I've covered this dozens of times. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. 
Uh, and we covered this. Basically, Jeremiah was speaking in the Old Testament about the New Testament, which didn't happen yet. And he said, when it comes around, people aren't going to be saying to each other, know the law, know the law, don't steal, don't gossip about that person, don't covet. He's saying that in Jeremiah 31, it'll be written on their hearts. Now, that was a picture of what we deal with today. You're filled, you have become a believer in Jesus. You're filled with the Holy Spirit, right? And it is written on your heart. It it comes naturally now. So, we look at this. If we could put up Matthew 23, 23. You know, Jesus' biggest problem with any group in the first century were the self-righteous, cold religious system. And a lot of people today, they won't come to church because they're turned off by religion. Well, guess what? In a lot of ways, so was Jesus. Because they didn't really act like they loved the people. They were just concerned about their own aggrandizement. In Matthew 23, 23, if you ever get a chance to read, if you've ever been judged by the religious system, this is something that's extremely comforting because he really excoriates the hypocritical religious system. I'll take one verse. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, and these were the high echelon religious leaders, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin. They're little little herb garden plants. They would take a little piece and say, Oh, I give this to God. And have neglected, right? Neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith, those you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So in the religious system, and this happens in religion today, it's just so much easier to do a rite or a ritual or memorize a prayer and throw it at God on Sunday and then just live like a lunatic the rest of the week. But Jesus was saying to the religious system, you guys, not only did you neglect faith, where's your even belief in God? You know, this is almost like just like a system. But he said that you've neglected justice and mercy. I tell you the truth, I want to be shown justice and mercy. If anybody is, is, is representing God, you would think that that should be a big thing, but it wasn't. It wasn't back then. Let's just look at it this way. I'm going to hit this from a lot of angles. Love also fulfills the law by going from a negative to a positive. So what do I mean by that? Let's look at the law and then let's look at love. Let's look at how they try to achieve the same goal but from different angles. The law is not a bad thing. Following laws is a good thing, right? But the laws, it was a bunch of don'ts. Don't kill. Don't steal. Don't lie about others. Don't cover. Don't. mm, mm, mm. I could put music to that and make a song out of it, right? The don'ts. Love, on the other hand, does this. It says, Do this, and you won't do that. Check this out. So we go from don't to do. Do what? Love. Treat others the way you would want to be treated. Don't covet. Don't be jealous of your neighbors because they got something nicer than you. Don't go around gossiping about them. However, if you love them, so do love, and you won't do all those other things. You see how it attacks it from the other end? And love is more powerful because the more you tap into God... Even Paul says in Romans 7, the, the great Apostle Paul, he, when he tried to do it in his own strength, he failed. And this is somebody that we look up to. But what he learned was love, and the love of God, that agape love, was something that enabled us to do things we could normally not do on our own. Verse 10, love does no harm to a neighbor. Well, who is my neighbor? I'm glad you asked. We could turn to Luke 10.25. This is really important. 
This big discussion, this big parable, this big interaction between Jesus and another high echelon religious leader, and we're going to find out a very simple maxim right at the end of this, and I'll just go through it because I've taught on this, but I want to get the general uh, idea for you, is Luke 10.25, it says, And behold, a certain lawyer, now he's a re- he was a religious lawyer, he stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So there's the do. The do, right in there. Okay? The do's help us deal better with the don'ts. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? See, if we could narrow down the pool of those people that we're supposed to love to a very small, you know, the people we hang with, our peers, our family, just a small amount, oh, that's easy. Watch what Jesus does, how he turns this on its ear. Because even the religious leaders, in their minds, and it's amazing how you can, in your mind, brainwash yourself to think anything. Well, this is good. I love the other religious teachers, most of them. I love my family. I think I'm good. The Jews, everybody outside, I'm not so sure. This was a problem in the first century. Who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest, religious man, came down that road and he saw him. He passed by on the other side. I don't want to be near that. Likewise, a Levite, another religious man, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan... In that culture, religious Jews were taught to despise the Samaritans. And this goes all the way back to 722 B.C. when the Assyrians had invaded Israel and they conquered Samaria, these pagans, right? And they uh, took a lot of the Jewish people, expatriated to the pagan world. They forced them to leave their homes. And they brought in a bunch of pagans with pagan practices. From In a sick sort of way, it was actually ingenious because... The, the people who were practicing all kinds of polytheism and stuff, they brought them into Israel and they mixed with the people over time and it diluted the fervor of the Jewish people to follow their God. So the pagans had won a spiritual battle, interestingly enough. Now, were there a lot of good people still in Israel? Yes, there were. So time goes on, the people in the south, right? You can see this in, in many countries even today. They do this this weird ethnic, religious, you know, I don't like you, but I like people who are like me. So the people in the south in Jerusalem looked at the north, the the Samaritans, as less than. You know, they looked down on them. So Jesus purposely makes the hero of the story a Samaritan. When you know the culture, the parable really pops. Now there's a greater understanding of this parable. And you could, I could just, I wish I was, I could see a video of this. They were probably getting uncomfortable. They probably knew where he was going. So he says, a certain Samaritan, maybe this was a true story, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw the man who was the victim, he had compassion on him. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him? who fell among the thieves. And he said, 
probably reluctantly and probably vaguely, he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. So what did Jesus teach us? That now love becomes really impossible. Because not only should we love the people that are close to us, but anybody could be our neighbor. First of all, the hero in the story was somebody that was looked down upon. And your neighbor, especially in time of need like that, you're not going to start... If you've been beat up or you've been robbed and you're left bleeding in the middle of New York City, you don't care who comes to help you. You know, If you need somebody to call a 911 and get an ambulance, let's just bring this up to 2019. And maybe even prejudices, when you see that first face come towards you and they show compassion, your thinking now starts to change, doesn't it? So it's interesting because the federal government tells us rightly we shouldn't discriminate, we shouldn't hate, we shouldn't all these things, but they're, they're sort of like the law. However, when you become a Christian, what, you, what happens is you get a whole different picture of humankind. You start to look at everybody as a human being and somebody who's in some way related to you according to the scripture. So isn't that amazing how a a, a lesson 2,000 years ago, a little simple parable that today in 2019 has incredible applications. It's heavy. Anyone could be my neighbor, right? And that makes it even more difficult to love everyone. And let's just go there. What people do today in the flesh if they don't know God, is they gravitate towards people who are like them. They look like them, they speak like them, they eat the same foods, they have the same culture. But what we should be seeing in a church, and the camera can't show it because it's on me right now, is when I look out here, I see diversity. The federal government didn't have to come in here and tell us to do that. It just happens naturally when you start to study the Word. People come in. Actually, when I, when I go to a, the barbecue, where we have our barbecue every year at the church, I love it. People bring in their ethnic dishes, and I'm like, I've never seen that before. I'll try it, you know what I'm saying? Um, but it's cool because you get to know other people. You know their culture, you know. And it, it brings a, a different flavor, pardon the pun, to, to the church. So it's a good thing. You can see a lot in here. Continuing on, verse 11. In Romans 13, last few verses of this chapter, he says, and do this. Now this is, we leave on love, which is awesome. Knowing the time that now it is high time to wake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in licentiousness and lewdness, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. So two out of three is metaphors of urgency in our walks with the Lord. We actually showed, we had a good turnout on Friday night. We showed the movie Pilgrim's Progress. It's something I had never seen before. It was kind of neat in, in animation. Uh, again, it was, I never read the book. And then I, I didn't know that uh, Paul Bunyan, it was John Bunyan, John. Paul Bunyan was the lumberjack. <laughs> it happens. So what happens is when he wrote the book or he wrote the story while he was in prison for his faith, I didn't know that. So he, he just uses an allegorical example of a person's walk on the walk with their God. 
how they're walking with the Lord when they get saved. So it was kind of neat. Uh, a metaphor is a symbolic way of expressing something. Some people learn better with metaphors. Jesus did this a lot with his parables. So even the uneducated, they couldn't read and write. He would just say, he would explain something. Oh, look, the harvest. Hey, let me explain how there's a spiritual connotation. person didn't know how to read and write. They just now understood spiritual things. So you see a lot of metaphors, a lot of symbolism in the scripture. Verse 11, the first one is sleep versus wake. Know the time, awake out of sleep. Live our lives, brothers and sisters, with true importance. I love going into the Greek and the Hebrew and the Aramaic, so here we go. The word for sleep in the Greek is hupnas. What word do we get? People say, oh, you can't, you can't translate the Bible. It's important. Hupnas. In English, we get hypnosis. There's not much of a leap there. It's almost like a transliteration. Look at hypnos, hypnosis in the English, and what does it mean? It means the induction of a state of consciousness in which a person, this is textbook, by the way, in which a person apparently loses the power of voluntary action and is highly responsive to suggestion or direction. Folks, there are some people that call themselves Christians that are walking around this world like they're in a trance, like they're under hypnosis. And Paul, under, under the power of the Holy Spirit, knew that Christians are, are going to have their good moments, their bad moments, they're going to have their moments of backsliding, and he's trying to encourage them to really pay attention to what's important. Don't be hypnotized by the world. In, in the movie Pilgrim's Progress, the Christian goes through this town called Vanity Fair, and it's a picture of the world, right? We're Christians. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. But we go through, when we leave here, we go through the world. This is in our final state. And sometimes the world can mesmerize us. Sometimes it can uh, deaden our spiritual senses, and we get caught up in the world, right? We see glitz and glamour and, and things on TV and movies and, and culture, Hollywood culture and such, and it's a problem. You know, if every Christian did something small, God's not asking us to do huge things, but if every single Christian in the world, many millions, hundreds of millions, if we all did some small ministry, could you imagine how much better the world would look? If we learned to love the people in our own church and then went out and started loving people that were strangers, our neighbors, and then went out in the power of the Holy Spirit to do something small, I think the world would look differently. But a lot of Christians are under hypnosis. They're under hypnosis. They're sleeping. And Paul's saying, wake up. Wake up. He said, salvation is nearer than when we first believed. For the Christian, every day that we possess and every day that passes us by, we're closer to either the Lord's return or dying and going to be with the Lord, one or the other. So we shouldn't waste our time on selfish pursuits. And I would just ask this question. You don't have to call out. What are some of us doing? Daily, weekly, monthly, what are we doing with our lives? What things have we put so much emotion, our money, our time into that really means nothing for the kingdom? I mean, I had to come to these conclusions early on. I was trying to walk two worlds for a while. Listen, all the things that you shouldn't do, I probably did 95% of them. Uh, so I'm not picking on anybody. I'm just saying, I'm just telling you what the Scripture says. And at some point, every Christian has to come to a point in their life where they say to themselves, what am I doing with my life? I put so much into X, Y, and Z. Is that what would be pleasing to the Lord? The world, Rome is burning. Our country is in shambles. 
People are at each other's throats. Are we being peacemakers? Are we going out there? Are we trying? Are we asking the Lord, what would you have me do? That's a sweet, honest request to the Lord. And He'll give you something to do. You know? Let me just say this, that there are cults that do more for false religion than some Christians do for the truth. Let me repeat that. There are cults that do more for their false religion than some Christians do for the truth. And that's sad. It's just where we are in Scripture. Verse 12, there's a metaphor of the night ending and daybreak beginning. Again, the old life of spiritual darkness and the new life of the light of Christ. A full transition in our hearts because you know what? It doesn't look like it from where we're standing here. I mean, not in the church, but in the world. But eventually light is going to win over darkness. And it's going to be permanent. So you want to get on the good side. You, know, you, want, to get on, you want to be fighting in, in the trenches with the good team. Not meandering or hanging out on a battlefield, walking back and forth. To just get fully into it, all in. In light of this, we have the metaphor of taking off and putting on clothing. Again, it's a metaphor. It's symbolic, right? To cast off the spiritual, the, the spiritual darkness of the old life and putting on the armor of light. I taught on Ephesians 6, the spiritual armor. What does it mean? What does it mean? What, are, what is the, you know, the breastplate of righteousness? What is the helmet of salvation? What is the sword of the Spirit? What do these things mean? What is God trying to say to me? Ephesians 6. You can get it for free off the website. Verse 13. The metaphor of walking or a change of behavior. Let us walk properly or decently as in the day, as in the light. Not in, what does he say? Revelry carousal, drunkenness, intoxication, under any other influence than the influence of the Lord. And understand this, that we could get into drugs and alcohol, but we could also get into the intoxication of the world. Of the world. Getting caught up. And some Christians do this. They go from church to church to church. Oh, this guy is speaking at this church. Oh, that band is playing it. They never, they never put roots down. They're just, they're, they're, it's hypnosis. They're, they're mesmerized by lights and excitement and there's no depth there. There's a shallowness there. So it could be literal intoxication, which he is speaking about, but it can also be a, a form of spiritual intoxication. There's a lot of perils out there. The Bible says that we can beat drugs, alcohol, anger, despair, Right? Either God's messing with us and says we can beat it, or He's serious. And if He's messing with us, then He's not worth serving. But I found everything in this book, from cover to cover, to be true. Right? You could have a label of somebody who was always angry. And the Lord changes that. Why carry around that label? No, that was the old life. And sometimes when you run into somebody who you used to run with years ago, and they're like, you're different. Like, what happened? Jesus. Oh, come on. You're, and I've gotten this. Jesus. If everybody says that. No, 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 let me, let me, let's go deeper. You got a few minutes? Let's talk. Let me tell you how each... And they, they look at you like... I've had counseling sessions here with people from my past. And he, they, they look at me with this dopey look like, are you for real? I'm like, bro, this has been me for well over 20 years. Yeah, but I knew... Yeah, I know, I know. It's, it's the old life. It's the testimony. Um, I'm not going back to it. You know, that was my old life. It was... So it's, it's pretty neat. And, and what I say this out of, a, of, out of a, a standpoint of encouragement. You know, I mean, I grew up broken home, alcohol, angry music, um, going from one drinking event to another, never satisfied. 
But I gave my heart to the Lord and everything started to change. And what happened was God dealt with the root that was causing me all those things. There's always a root. There's some type of root that develops in our heart. It's a wicked root and it grows slowly and it starts to wrap around our being and it takes us over. But the Lord can tear out that root and then plant some beautiful things in your life. You know, beauty for ashes, the Bible says. So I don't say this from a standpoint of, oh, you, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't. I'm saying this, that it happened to me. I'm no better than anybody here. And if it happened for me, God can do it for you too. I'm not, I'm not more favored just because I'm the pastor here. Uh, I remember seeing the lady who came up last Sunday to receive the Lord, coming here by herself for some time. And she was brave enough to just get up and walk to the front. I'm, I'm, now I'm, I'm high on life. You know, so I've exchanged the highs. You know, I'm, I'm high on life. Seeing somebody get saved makes me happy. It really does. It's an incredible thing because the Bible says that the angels in heaven, we can't hear them right now, but they rejoice when one sinner repents and comes to salvation. I know what's going on up there because I read this book. That's exciting to be a part of that. Amen? He continues, licentiousness, lewdness. Um, and again, it could be drugs, alcohol, it could be pornography, it could be sexual sins. It, a person who's always giving themselves over to multiple partners, uh, always showing their flesh, you know, it's a sign of an insecurity. Uh, you know, so you got all kinds of vices that humans are predisposed to. Some people are money, they do anything for money and they get themselves in federal prison. You know, some people, so it, there's just so many vices in this world that we're walking through. Right? But this one has to do, these are more sexual sins. Strife and envy. Strife. Person who's always at war with somebody. Anger. Uh, wrath. Uh, some, they don't even know what the root is. They're just always angry. It's a hair trigger. You say the wrong thing and they go from uh, Jekyll to Hyde. Uh, envy. The Greek word is zelos, where we get the word jealous from. Jealousy. That's, unfortunately, we, we find these things in the church. Jealousy. You know, um, those of us in ministry, we go through things too. Some look at us and uh, they think we have the perfect lives and we don't. We have the same issues and the same uh, difficulties that everybody else has. You know, don't look at somebody in the church. And it, I tell you, Facebook, Snapchat, everybody puts their best face on uh, social media. Look at me. Everything's great. I have the best relationship. I'm wonderful. I love myself. Is it really true? And it can develop, it can breed a jealousy in other people. But that person who's jealous is also wrong. Seriously, you're looking at social media and you think that's a reflection of reality? What does the Bible say? We shouldn't be jealous. It, it makes our heart ugly. You know, you can't assume that somebody else has somebody that you don't, something that you don't have. Maybe they're so insecure that they cover it with things and they don't want people to really see and it. It compounds the problem. What is love? Love is trying to understand other people, Right? So, verse 14, 3. So, 3 out of 3 is then how should we live our lives? Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision or make no supply for the flesh. There's an expression in war to give no quarter to the enemy. Sometimes the enemy is within us. See, when you become born again, you unfortunately still have the old nature. You still have the old flesh. You wonder why. Well, I became a Christian. Well, how come I, I sinned uh, over the weekend? Because this is going to be something that you're going to have to... It's a battle, right? It's a battle. When the Lord returns, we don't fight anymore. The Lord just 
all the sin stuff and all the broken, all that stuff is gone. But until we go to meet him, God wants us to get into the battle. He wants us to get into the war. We're still in a, a creation that's marred by sin. So we still have a flesh. We have a nature that's not good. It's a decadent nature. It's a, it's a body of decay, as Paul says. But we also are filled with the Holy Spirit. So sometimes we'll find ourselves in conflict. You might have friends that say, Hey, you want to come out Friday night? I'll pick you up at about 7 o'clock. You know, the old friends were going to go out. And you just, the old you would have just done it. But the new you, there's, there's a check. And you think to yourself, and you've never had this before. Should, should I do this? And you're starting to now have this discussion in your mind. I know what this is going to lead to. I don't know that, I don't know that I'm strong enough. You could either go and do it and then get caught up in it, make the decision later, or you can say, oh, I'm, I'm good, no, I'm good, I'm good for tonight. Right? That's the Spirit trying to get your attention and saying, the Spirit is a, as God is saying, I know where this is going to lead. Don't do it. It's like the Holy Spirit will send up warning flags. Don't do it. And we can make those choices to follow the flesh or to follow the Spirit. And we all have to make those choices as Christians. However, give it to God. Lord, now is the time that I really need you. I need wisdom in this situation. So let's look at the metaphors. The night is ending. Well, we know that as every second that marches by, we're getting closer to the Lord's return. So the night, the darkness, the spiritual, you know, Jesus spoke about working while it's in, in the light because the darkness is coming. Jesus even said that. So the night is when, uh, ending, we need to wake up. That's the next metaphor, wake up. And as believers, we come out of the world and, and we're new believers and we're still finding our way, but we have to wake up out of that spiritual stupor. So night's ending, wake up, put on, put on these clothes, put on a newness of life. And then when you put on, you see they're all in order, that you, now you, we start to walk with the Lord. It's pretty neat, isn't it? I mean, everybody, if you're here, you, you do sleep, because if you don't sleep, it's a serious medical condition, but you sleep somewhat, you do wake up, you see that the sun came up, right? Uh, or we, we're actually more, the sun's fixed, but we're rotating, I'm sorry, it's revolutions, technically, but it's, it's a, that's a metaphor. You put something on, you're all dressed to come to church, and you all walked at some point to get here, didn't you? doesn't matter your educational level. The, the scripture gives you deep things, but it also gives you simple things. And as we're walking to, with the Lord, we need to look at this conclusion to love others. We have a responsibility towards others because we have a responsibility towards God. How do we do that? By relying on the Holy Spirit. By relying on God. And I'll just speak for an example there's times I run ahead of God because I'm very hyper. And then I realize that I'm, I'm now starting to do things. And they're not maybe sinful things, but I need to go back and get back with God. Pray, um, say, you know what, Lord, yeah, I, I made some really fast decisions and I didn't really, I didn't really pray it through. Um, so we can do that. But we want to seek God. So even after the altar call this morning, I'm going to give an opportunity for us to just to ask the Lord to put on Christ more and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. You've been listening to 
to every generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.